Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Free Reads. And now for something completely different. Before I read the next installment of The Edge of Nowhere, I would like to read from the introduction to a new book about the singularity. It's called Digital Rapture, the Singularity Anthology, and contains stories and essays about the coming of our robot overlords, or whatever. It was edited by John Kessel and, well, me, and will be available for purchase in the next day or so. So here it is, the abstract of a talk that Bernard Vinge gave at a NASA-sponsored symposium in 1993, begins with this chilling prediction. Within 30 years, we will have the technological means to create superhuman intelligence. Shortly after, the human era will be ended. Narrative hooks are common in science fiction, but when Vinge, a professor of mathematics and a gifted writer, brought the technique to a scholarly paper, the world sat up and took notice. The coming technological singularity, colon, how to survive in the post-human era, is not a work of startling originality, but rather draws its significance from the way Vinge documents research and gathers credible speculation from a variety of sources. For instance, he points to the cryptanalyst Irving John Good, who wrote as early as 1965, let an ultra-intelligent machine be defined as a machine that can far surpass all the intellectual activities of any man, however clever. Since the design of machines is one of these intellectual activities, an ultra-intelligent machine could design even better machines. There would then unquestionably be an intelligence explosion, and the intelligence of man would be left far behind. Thus, the first ultra-intelligent machine is the last invention that man would ever need make. Nevertheless, Vinge's paper took a lot of smart people by surprise, many of them technologists and futurists and science fiction writers, who had been secure in the belief that they could see more than three decades into the future. Controversy ensued. I hope you'll consider looking up Digital Rapture. But in the meantime, here's the ending of The Edge of Nowhere. But Will wasn't waiting, at least not for rain. She stopped by their apartment, but he wasn't there, and he hadn't left a note. Neither was he at the button factory nor Queequeg's cava cave. She looked in at the laughing cookie just as fast Eddie was locking up. No will. She finally tracked him down at the overlook by the blue picnic table under the chestnut trees. Normally they came here for the view, which was spectacular. A field of wildflowers, tidy tips and mullein and tick seed and bindweed, sloped steeply down to the edge of the mesa. But Will was paying no attention to the scenery. He had scattered a stack of five loose-leaf binders across the table. The whole of the great American novel, or the last president, or whatever the hell it was called. Three of the binders were open. 
He was reading, but apparently not writing in a fourth. A number two pencil was tucked behind his ear. Something about Will's body language disturbed Rain. He was usually sprawled awkwardly wherever he came to rest, a giraffe trying to settle on a hammock. Now he was gathered into himself, hunched over the binder like an old man. Rain came up behind him and kneaded his shoulders for a moment. He leaned back and sighed. Sorry about this afternoon. She bent to nibble his ear. Have you eaten? No. He kissed the air in front of him, but did not look at her. She peeked at the loose-leaf page in front of him and tried to decipher the handwriting, which was not quite as legible as an EEG chart. Knelt before the coffin, her eyes wide in the dim, holy light of the cathedral. His face was wavy. No, thought Rain, straightening up before he suspected she was reading. Not wavy, waxy. Beautiful evening, she said. Will shut the binder he had been reading and gazed distractedly toward the horizon. Rain had not been completely honest with chance. It was true that Will hadn't shown her the novel, but she had read some of it. She had stolen glimpses over his shoulder or read upside down when she was sitting across from him. Then there was the one guilty afternoon when she had come back to their apartment and gobbled up pages 34 to 52 before her conscience mastered her curiosity. The long passage had taken place in a bunker during one of the resource wars. The president of Great America, Lawrence Goodman, had been reminiscing with his former mistress and current national security advisor, Rebecca Santorino, about Akron, where they had first fallen in love years ago, and which had just been obliterated in retaliation for an American strike on Zhenzhou in China. Two pages later, they were thrashing on the president's bed and ripping each other's clothes off. Rain had begun this part with great interest, hoping to gain new insight into Will's sexual tastes, but had closed the binder uneasily just as the president was tying his lover to the Louis XVI armoire with silk atura neckties. Will closed the other open binders and stacked all five into a pile. Then he pulled the pencil from behind his ear, snapped it in two, and let the pieces roll out of his hand under the picnic table. He gave her an odd, lopsided smile. Well, what's the matter? Rain stared. Are you okay? In response, he pulled a baggie of cookie dust from his shirt pocket and jiggled it. Here? she said, coloring. In plain sight? Usually they hid out when they were eating dust, at least until they weathered the first rush. The cocoa peanut butter chunk made them giggly and not a little stupid. Macaroon sandies often hit rain like powdered lust. There's no one to see. Will licked his forefinger and stuck it into the bag. Besides, what if there was? He extended the finger toward her, the tip and nail coated with the party-colored powder. Does anyone here care what we do? She considered telling him then what Chance Conrad had said about small towns, but she could see that Will was having a mood. So she just opened her mouth and obediently stuck her tongue out. As he rotated the finger across the middle of her tongue, she tasted the sweet, spicy grit. She closed her mouth on the finger, and he pulled it slowly through her lips. Now you, 
she said, reaching for the baggie. They always fed each other cookie dust. Rain and Will sat on the tabletop with their feet on the seat, facing the slope that led down to the edge of nowhere. The world beneath the impossibly high cliff was impossibly flat, but this was still Rain's favorite lookout, even it was probably an illusion. The land stretched out in a kind of grid with rectangles in every color of green, the brooding green of forests, the dreaming green of fields under cultivation, and the confused gray-green of scrubland. Dividing the rectangles were ribbons the color of wet sand. Rain liked to think that they were roads, although she had never spotted any traffic on them. She reached for Will's hand, and he closed it around hers. He was right. She didn't care if anyone saw them together like this. His skin was warm and rough. As she rubbed her finger over the back of his hand, she thought she could make out a faded blue spot. But maybe it was a trick of the twilight or a cookie hallucination. The rectangles and the ribbons of the land to the southwest had always reminded her of something, but she had never quite been able to figure out what. Now, as Eddie's magic cookie dust sparked through her bloodstream, and she felt Will's warm hand in hers, she thought of a trip she had taken with her father when she was just a kid to a museum in an old city called Manhilton that got blown up afterward. In the museum were very old pics that just hung on the wall and mostly didn't do anything. And she remembered taking a cab to get there. And the cab had asked her what her name was, but she wouldn't tell it. So it called her little girl, which she didn't like because she was seven already. And the museum had escalators that whispered music. And there was one really, really big room filled with pics of all blurry water lilies. And outside in a sculpture garden, there were statues made of metal and rocks, but there were no flowers because it was cold. So she and Dad didn't stay out there very long. And inside again, there were lots of pics of women with three eyes and too many corners. And then some wide blue men blocked her view of the Mona Lisa. So she never really saw that one which everyone said later was supposed to be so special. But when she did see and remembered now was a pix of a grid that had colored rectangles with ribbons of red and yellow separating them. And she asked her dad if it was a map of the museum, and he laughed down at her because her dad was tall, tall as any statue. And he said the pix wasn't a map, it was a Mondrian. And she asked him what a Mondrian was. And then he laughed again, and she laughed. And it was so easy to laugh in those days. And Will was laughing, too. I want to go down there. He laughed as he pointed down at the Mondrian, which stretched into the rosy distance. There? Rain didn't understand. The best part of her was still in the museum with her father. Why? Because... There are people living there. Must be why chance won't give out binoculars or telescopes. He let go of her hand. Because it's not here. You're going to step over the edge? Her voice rose in alarm. No, silly. He leaped up, stood on the tabletop, and raised his arms to the sky. I'm going to climb down. But that's the same thing. 
No, it isn't. I'll show you. He slid off the picnic table and started toward the thicket of scruffy evergreens and brambles that had overgrown the edge of nowhere. He walked along this tangle until he came to a bit of blue rag tied to a branch, glanced over his shoulder to see if she was still with him, and then wriggled into the scrub. Rain followed. They emerged into a tiny clearing. She sidled beside him, and he slipped an arm around her waist to brace her. The cliff was steep here, but not sheer. She could make out a narrow dirt track that switched back through scree and stunted fur. Maybe a mountain goat could negotiate it, if there were any mountain goats. But a single misstep would send Will plunging headlong. And then there was the drop. Everyone knew about the drop. They traded stories about it all the time. Scary stories. She was about to ask him why, if there were people down there, they hadn't climbed up for a visit, when he kicked a stone downhill. They watched it bounce and disappear over a ledge. Lucy Panza showed me this, said Will, his face flushed with excitement. Rain wondered when he'd had time to go exploring the edge with Lucy Panza. But she stepped over the edge. No, he said, she didn't. She considered the awful slope for a moment and shuddered. I'm not going down there, Will. He continued peering down the dirt track. I know, he said. The calm with which he said it was like a slap in the face. She stared at him, speechless, until he finally met her gaze. I'll come back for you. He gave her the goofy, apologetic grin he always summoned up when he upset her. I'll make sure the path is safe, and I'll make all kinds of friends down at the bottom, and when the time is right, I'll be back. But what about your book? Pfft! He blew a dismissive breath between his lips. I'm all set with that. It's finished? It's crap, Rain. His voice was flat. I'm not wasting any more time writing about some stupid, made-up president. There are no more presidents. And how can anyone write the great American novel when there is no more America? He caught his breath. Sorry, he said. I know that's what you wanted me to do. He gave her a sour smile. You're welcome to read it if you want. Or hand it over to the dogs. That should be good for a laugh. Then he pulled her into his arms and kissed her. Of course, Rain kissed him back. She wanted to drag him down on top of her and rip his clothes off although there really wasn't room enough here to make love. She would even have let him take her on the picnic table, tie her to the damn table, if that's what he wanted. But his wasn't the kind of kiss that started anything. So, I'm coming back, I promise, he murmured into her ear. Just tell everyone that you're waiting for me. Wait a minute, she twisted away from him. You're going now? It's almost dark. We just ate cookie dust. She couldn't believe he was serious. This was such a typical boneheaded Will stunt he was pulling. Come home, honey, she said. Get some sleep. Things might look different in the morning. He stroked her hair. I've got at least another hour of light, he said. Believe me, I've thought about this a long time, Rain. Then he brushed his finger against her lips. I love you. 
he took a step over the edge, and another. He had gone about a dozen meters before his feet went out from beneath him, and he fell backwards, skidding on his rear end and clutching at scrub. But he caught himself almost immediately and looked up at her, his face pale as the moon. Oops, he called cheerfully. Rain stood at the edge of the cliff long after she could no longer see him. She was hoping he'd come to a dead end and have to turn back. The sun was painting the horizon with fire by the time she fetched Will's binders to the edge of nowhere. She opened one after another and shook the pages free. They fluttered into the twilight like an exultation of larks. A few landed briefly on the path before launching themselves again into the breeze and following their creator out of her life. When all the pages had disappeared, Rain took the whistle that the dogs had given her and hurled it as far into the Mondrian as she could. Only then did she let herself cry. She thought she deserved it. Rain found her way through the gathering darkness back to the apartment over Vronsky's laundromat and monkey filter bolodrome. She put some Szechuan lasagna into the microwave and pushed it around her plate for a while, but she was too numb to be hungry. She would have gone to the eight o'clock show at the Zigfall just to get out, but she was mortally tired of the Wizard of Oz, no matter who the cognosphere recast in it. The apartment depressed her. The problem, she decided, was that she was surrounded by Will's stuff. She'd have to move it somewhere out of sight. She placed a short stack of college-lined, loose-leaf paper and four unopened reams in a box next to his novels, The Awakening, The Big Snooze, and Drinking the Snow. Will had borrowed them from the very memorial library, but he had made way too many marginal notes in them for her to return them to the stacks. Rain would have to order new ones from Chance in the barrow. She threw his Buffalo Soldier's warm-up jacket on top of several dusty pairs of Adidas Cloud Nine running shoes. Will's dresser drawers produced eight pairs of white socks, two black, a half-dozen gray jockey shorts, three pairs of jeans, and a stack of T-shirts sporting pics of Pan-African shoutcast bands. At the bottom of the sock drawer, Rain discovered flash editions of Super Heterodyne Adventure Stories 2020-2026 and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fetish. She pulled his mustard collection and Klimke's and homebrew off the kitchen shelves. And that was all it took to put Will out of her life. She shouldn't have been surprised. After all, they had only lived together for just over a year. She was trying to talk herself into throwing the lot of it out the next morning when the door glass blinked. She glanced at the clock. Who did she know that would come visiting at 10.30 at night? When she opened the door, Baskerville, Rover, and Spot looked up to her. You found the book? The bloodhound's bow tie was crooked. Beneath her, Rain could hear the rumble and clatter of the bowling lanes. There is no book. May we come in? No. 
"You threw the whistle off the edge," said Baskerville. As if on signal, the two terriers sat. They looked to Rain as if they were settling in for a stay. "Where's Will?" said Rover. She wanted to kick the door shut hard enough to knock their bowler hats off, but the terrier's question took her breath away. If the cognosphere had lost track of Will, then maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was. I hate dogs," she said. "Maybe I forgot to mention that." Baskerville regarded her with his solemn chocolate eyes and said nothing. The terrier's hind leg scratched at his flank. "Has something happened to him?" he asked. "Stop it!" Rain stomped her foot on the door sill, and all three dogs jumped. "You want a story, and I want information. Deal?" The dogs thought it over. Then Rover got up and licked her hand. Okay, story. But at that moment, Rain's throat seemed to close as if she'd tried to swallow the page of a book. Will was gone. If she said it aloud, it would become just another story on the Memex. But she had to know. My boyfriend climbed over the edge a couple of hours ago, trying to find a way down the cliff. I pitched the goddamn novel he was writing after him. The end. But what does this have to do with the last president? That was the name of his book. Used to be. Once, she was out of breath. Okay, you got a story. Now you owe me some goddamn truth. He's dead, right? You've absorbed him already. Rover started to say. I'm afraid we have no knowledge of, but she didn't give the dog a chance to finish. She slammed the door. She decided then not to throw Will's things out. She dragged them all into the bedroom closet and covered the pile with the electric blanket. She made one more pass around the apartment to make sure she had everything. Then she decided to make a grocery list so she could stop at Serino's on the way home from work tomorrow. That's when she discovered that she had nothing to write on. She gave herself permission to retrieve a couple of pages of Will's paper from the closet, just as once. As long as she was writing the list, she didn't have to think about Will on the cliff, or the dogs in the hall. She cracked the apartment door just enough to see all three of them were still there, heads on paws, asleep. Spot's ear twitched, but he didn't wake up. She sat. On the couch, with a silence ringing in her ears, until she got up and muscled the dresser over to the block the closet where she had put Will's stuff. She thought about brushing her teeth and trying for sleep, but she knew that would be a waste of time. She was browsing the books on her bookshelf, all of which she had long since read to tatters, when the phone squawked. Rain was sure it was the dogs calling, but decided to pick up just in case. Lorraine Carraway. Rain recognized Sheriff Renfield's drawl and was immediately annoyed. He was one of her best customers, an avid Georgette Hire fan, and knew better than to call her by her proper name. Speaking, Beej, what's up? There's been some trouble down at the Laughing Cookie. He was slurring words. He pronounced "there is" as "there's." Trouble? Fast Eddie said you had. 
dogs in the store today, dogs with hats. What kind of trouble, Beach? Is Eddie all right? He's fine. We're all just fine. Everyone knew that Beach Renfield was a drinker, and no one blamed him for it. Being sheriff was possibly the most boring job in nowhere. But there's been what you might call vandalism. Books all over the place rain, some of them ripped up good. Teeth marks. And the place stinks of piss. Must have happened an hour, maybe two ago. Fast Eddie's ripping mad. I need you to come down here and lay some calm on him. Will you do that for me, Rain? I'll do you one better, Beege. You're looking for these dogs? His breath rasped in the receiver so loud you could almost smell it. Because I've got them here, if you're interested. Right outside my door. I'm on my way. Oh, and Beege, you might want to bring some help. She sat at the kitchen table to wait. In front of her were the shopping list and the number two pencil. They reminded her of Will. He was such a strong boy. Everyone in town always said so. He had run that 421 mile, after all. And she was almost certain that Baskerville had looked surprised when she told him that Will was climbing down the cliff. What did surprise look like on a dog? She'd see for sure when Beege Renfield arrived. For the very first time, Rain allowed herself to consider the possibility that Will wasn't dead or absorbed. Maybe the cognosphere ended at the edge of nowhere, in which case he might actually come back for her. But why would he bother? What had she ever done to deserve him? Her shopping list lay in front of her like an accusation. Was this all her life was about? Toilet paper and seventy up and duck sausage? Will had climbed over the edge of nowhere. What chance had she ever taken? She needed to do something. Something no one had ever done before. She'd had enough of books and all the old stories about the world that the cognosphere was sorting on the Memex. That world was gone forever and ever. Amen. She picked up the pencil again. I scowled at the dogs through the plate glass window of the very memorial library. They squatted in a row next to my book drop. There were three of them, haughty in their bowler hats and silk vests. They acted like they owned the air. Bad dogs. I knew that for sure. Created out of spit and tears and heartbreak by the spirits of all the uncountable dead and sent to spy on the survivors and cause at least three different kinds of trouble. I wasn't worried. We'd seen their kind before. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with a new story on the Free Reads podcast. <laughs>